This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The Outer Sanctum is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present. Good plan, good plan. Who thought of this one? time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Groundbreakers, history makers. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. Uh, baby, it's cold outside, but it's piping hot in the AFLW trade news. My name is Emma Race and I am joined lovingly by my foot. For love and sanctum siblings, I can get to let them introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Julia Kiera. Hello, I'm Rana Hussain. It is so nice to see you both this fine day. Uh, the buy in the AFLM and the way that we've been picking over the very few stories that exist is making a very strong case for the AFLW kicking off in the buy round of August. I feel like you couldn't have <laughs> you couldn't have planned it better. Was there some highlights that you enjoyed from the football over the weekend? I'll come to you first, Julia. Oh, well, you know I don't have a highlight from AFL men's. I've got a lovely highlight from um, AFL women's and the sign-and-trade period that's going on at the moment. People that are following along at home and people that have been following along our Insta know that I've got an ongoing project, which is a football team called the Former Blues. And um, <laughs> Have we got Former Blues news? Yeah, well, fortunately, we've actually got two more former Blues that meet the criteria, as in they once played for the Carlton Football Club and they are currently listed to another AFLW club, that have come back on the scene not via the traditional methods. So the first one is Bridie Kennedy, who played at, at Carlton. She was there the year I was there. She was delisted. Bridie's put up a beautiful post uh, on her Insta about what she's kind of learned and grown through the last few years and she's been playing some great footy at Williamstown and she's now been picked up by Sydney. And then the other one is Bella Eyre. So Bella was a great forward who uh, played at Carlton in the first year and then was very unceremoniously traded to Brisbane with Nat Exxon in that Taylor Harris trade. And you can go back mm. and find, um, you know, stories about Bella saying that she never lived away from home and she was suddenly traded um, into Queensland and she uh, retired uh, after a couple of years and she has now been picked up by Essendon after coming back into the game. So I'm really excited to see some two more former Blues <laughs> come back and for them to get another go at it, not via the traditional methods. Oh, I love it. That is a very good highlight. It feels like, you know, we always see men getting um, second chances and another mm-hmm. bite of the cherry and, and here we go. Like a, a couple of former Blues getting another bite of the cherry is really nice. I've also noticed that the new CBA deal is really piquing the interest of a lot more Irish recruits and I feel Mm. like I was even pontificating about whether or not we might see more interest from say American uh, footballers or American athletes because there's no contact sport at the elite level for women and non-binary people in the States. So, you know, all of a sudden, you know, a bit of ching ching and a bit of of cash (laughs) and we don't know what's going to happen. It's interesting that you say that because I was googling the CBA (laughs) Just the nerdiest sentence you've ever had. <laughs> um, but I was Googling the CBA the other day and I did see a whole bunch of international headlines come up and I realised, of course, a 94% pay increase is going to get reported all around the world. And you're right, that is going to be so attractive to international athletes. And I kind of love that, that this little engine that could is now going to, you know, bring in all kinds of women from around the world, I hope anyway. But remind me, Julia, do we have a full team now of former blokes? Oh, we've got a we've got a very full team. And then I, some, isn't it? Yes, it's an and then some situation where I might either need to have a bench of about twelve <laughs> or I start to actually pick the best, which is a bit mean. Will they get a blazer? <laughs> 
<laughs> or we're going to have Australia A, Carlton A and Carlton B. I was going to um, say you've got a footy team and a cricket team now. <laughs> yeah. We've had a few retirees, so that helps me out. But, you look, next time I post it, I am going to put up the criteria yeah, because if I have one more person message the Insta saying, Lauren Arnell's not in it. <gasps> Lauren Arnell's <laughs> retired. All I right? love that that's your bugbear. Can she at least be the coach? Sure. Mm. Whatever. Sure. Hey, Rana, <laughs> it was a tough weekend for D's supporters. Oh. Have you recovered? Uh, it's very, I've, oh, I don't know. That's probably the answer that I couldn't even answer your question. <laughs> tells you <laughs> that's that not I even talking struggling. about Mae Melcham. <laughs> I know. I know you said that there's, you know, it's a weird news cycle at the moment. And then I feel like today suddenly it was like all the news. And I was driving when I saw that flick. I think someone sent it to me and I thought, oh, God, that's it. I have noticed that I'm, because we lost last week and we lost this past week, I'm suddenly just very quickly reverted back to um, Melbourne loser mode, which I'm very comfortable with. Muscle memory. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So that's a worry for me because I feel like that may be be what's happening at the club as well. So I'm not going to talk about Melbourne because that was very disappointing and hard to take. Uh, I actually wanted to shout out the Essendon Football Club, their wheelchair team. They had two big wins over the weekend. Um, Their development and senior wheelchair team did take the points home against Hawthorne. Sorry about that. But I know, sorry for me to bring that up. But they broke a whole bunch of records and their star forward, uh, Caleb, Uh, had 25 goals, which is kind of incredible, (laughs) Um, even in wheelchair footy, and that was the highest score that anyone's ever had in that competition. So Essendon, VFLW and VWFL are literally kicking goals. Yeah. I'm walking right past the AFLM news as well. No highlights there (laughs) for me. I'm going to go straight to where footy meets art. And I didn't personally see this, but I saw Casey Simons and Kirby from Sirens both posting. I think they saw a couple of Sanctum fans out there as well. They're at the Art Centre on the weekend in Melbourne. And there was a festival, I think it's called The Rising, and there was this art installation called The Mark by Luke George and Daniel Cock. And it was a re- imagining of marks in football created by a series or a little group of people and they basically tied them up in knots with ropes and then suspended them from the air. Um, I'm sure Julia will post a couple of these images on our Insta because it was phenomenal and, you know, I think what it brought to life for me was the way that we talk about footy as being ballet but also Mm. um, it really brought to life some photos that I think we always enjoy seeing what comes out of the weekend's um, snappers and how they can manage to capture those moments. But seeing the physicality of people being literally tied up in knots and suspended from midair, uh, it just made me love our game even more. I just, it is a phenomenal feat of physical um spectacular exertion and skill set and um people get themselves in these ridiculous kind of positions in in the air and I think that that was a really lovely way to pay homage to what people these athletic people can do with their bodies in both the men's and women's games and I because I'm the kind of person at a game that's always looking at the side or the seagulls and getting (laughs) distracted by what else is happening so I often miss the great marks in a game because I'm distracted and looking at something else so that I loved it for that reason but that whenever I do get to see a good mark like it just takes my breath away I felt like even though I didn't see it in person the pictures did this had the same effect for me I will say that I also wondered like how their wedgie situation was (laughs) I was gonna say it confirmed for me that the only way I could ever recreate the Taylor Harris kick photo was if I was in traction (laughs) someone had suspending you from a room (laughs) one foot in the stirrups I feel like someone would have at some point done a mission impossible too in the practice (laughs) of that Definitely. They definitely would have done that. No, it's, um, it's another Tom Cruise film. It's Eyes Wide Shut, I think, where they've got this. <laughs> Gross. 
<laughs> you had to take it there, didn't you, Julia? Yeah, but are you guys cool. ready to roll up your sleeves and melee? But we're doing it with a little bit of a different style this week. Sure are. Mm-hmm. Can't wait. We recently entertained ourselves. <laughs> as we do, talking about which grounds, which footy ovals you would kiss, marry or break up with. We put it out on on the socials and everyone had an opinion and I can't help myself but see everything through that prism at the moment. I'm like, well, what do I keep? What do I love? What do I want to have an affair with? And and what do I want to dump? (laughs) And, you know, the AFLW news is thick and fast at the moment, even though we're, you know, mid-season break for or buy for the M. And for good reason, because the the trade and sign is heating up. We've got the 29th of June is going to be the AFLW draft. The CBA has kind of put a whole lot of things on the table that we're moving towards having a professional competition. And I was thinking it's a really good time for us to check in with what we really envisage for the future. I think last week on the pod, we were talking about the comments from Nick Rewalt talking about how players, it would be great if AFLM players had jobs that they worked in, in addition to football, because, you know, it's acknowledged that it's makes you more or better rounded and it gives you um, better protection going forward for the time when you retire. And, and I was kind of thinking, what, what are the things that we want to keep? Do we want this competition when it's fully professional to lose some of the things that make it uniquely AFLW? So today, my friends, I'm going to ask you what you would kiss what you would marry and what you would dump. Now it's up to you two to tell me whether you want to go with the nego first and go, what would we dump first? And then work up to who we really think we're going to, you know, what we want to kind of patch. Pash, yeah. So do you want to start with the nego one first? I've got my own, but I'll let you kick it off, Julia. Do you want to do that? Sure. I would dump the list size. Ah, now what ooh. I mean by that is in AFLW at the moment, it's a list size of 30 only. That's the squad. And in the M, they have like a minimum of 37. And then with all their rookies, they get up to about 44. For me, there's a lot of domino effects of having such a tiny squad. One of it is that there is no patience to develop players because what happens is you've got 21 who need to take the field every week. You might have three or four that are injured. And so then there's only five who are not being actively selected every week, but they're players that coaches and assistant coaches need to see some immediate quality in, as in those five players need to be able to come in and out of the side every season. Whereas in men, someone might get drafted and actually not play their first year at all. And we're pretty fine with that. We see that they come in, they get a year in the system, they might play VFL or their state league, they get the strength and conditioning program, they, they're in the team meetings, they're learning or, game day, all that stuff. We give them that time. Whereas in women's, because the spots, like every, those five extra, those five non-selected players really need to be able to come in. It means that if you look at some of the players who have been traded, it's because there is this lack of patience to stick with players in those three or four development years that they might need. So teams move them on really fast. The other thing is about culture. If If you're one of, say, in a squad of 44, if you're one of 22 players not being picked that week, you kind of feel okay about it (laughs) because there's 22 of you, you're probably a bunch of you playing VFL, you're probably in a big rehab program if you're injured, there's there's lots of camaraderie, there's lots of development, You'll, you'll be in a big development squad, whereas think about that, what that's like when there's only five of you and there's only one forward spot and all that stuff. It, it, it really changes culture and relationships. And I think that this is blue skying it. I know that with bigger squads means more money, but I think that it would fast track the development of lots of players to be in the program and it's better for culture. Yes, Emma. I would like to play Devil's Avocado on mm-hmm. horseback, yep. which makes me think of things wrapped in bacon. (laughs) Um, So my query about that is when you've only got 16 on the field, so Mm. automatically um, list sizes should be smaller if you're only playing 16 a side. There's 21. So would you you also like to see that change? Would you like to see 18 a side and a bigger squad? And my other question, the problem that we have with, with the infrastructure of that is that it's already really hard to play your way back in 
to the team at the moment because there's really nowhere to demonstrate how you're going. There's no possible way and and maybe that will change when the competition, I mean, I I don't know that all the state leagues are going to match up and actually provide that opportunity for people to play in the the secondary league Mm. and play their way into it. So do you see that being an issue? The first part of your question, yes, I would like to see it 18 aside. I think I've talked about it before on this pod and I've heard players talking about it as well. It would help the speed of the game. It would help the structure of the game. It would help scoring. I think that it's a big oval. Women don't play on a smaller oval. It just makes sense for it to be 18 on the field. Uh, and then the second part, yeah, I get what you're saying about development, but at the moment, and, and we've already heard this come out of the CBA, they are still only playing 10 games a year. And so if that doesn't increase next year, they are going to seriously have to think about what the alignment is with all the state leagues because playing 10 games a year is just not enough. That is part of a bigger story <laughs> of what I'm suggesting here, but I do think that ultimately bigger list sizes will will help development and look at how it works in men's you know you've got if you go and watch any VFL or Sanford game or Waffle game at the moment and you'll see a bunch of AFL listed players because that's Mm -hmm. just how it is and I think that it does work well there's a rule against them playing in the VFLW for example if they're signed to the AFLW at the moment like well I know going into finals anyone who's a been an AFLW signed player isn't allowed to play in the VFLW finals series that also doesn't give you extra games. I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm just <laughs> saying I'd like to see no. I'd like to see a whiteboard with all the other dominoes falling. I have to say my head is spinning because this is so, I'm not I have no idea about list sizes. That was very like I yeah. It's so relevant because you can be a footy fan and not understand the soft cap. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like it's not, that's not, that does not give qualify you to be a footy fan. Rana, what do you want to break up with? In that, that Julia brought up list sizes, it's classic that this is what I will bring up, which is I want to dump the fact that Nicole Livingston or the head of the AFLW doesn't sit at executive level for the AFL. So Gil McLaughlin at the moment has a whole bunch of people who sit at exec- the executive table and they make a lot of decisions around the business. In any organisation, that executive is so important in terms of leading areas of the business and I know it's not how they're structured. But I just think given the investment that we want to see in the AFLW, that there isn't a sole person there whose job it is to kind of champion AFLW at that level from a business point of view really bums me out and I would love to see a restructure when the next person comes in. I think that's crucial and I always I do bang on about this usually off the pod but that things like inclusion uh, like it's amazing that inclusion sits at the exec table for the AFL and we've seen what Tanya Hosh has been able to do by elevating it to that level so I think something like the AFLW could be sitting there that she's not sitting there is what I'm dumping <laughs> which is a weird dump it's a dump negative phrase. but I know what you're saying <laughs> You know where I'm going with that. Yeah, you want them to be in the room where it happens. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Mm. Thank you, Eliza. Um, That is (laughs) – I just assume you're Eliza, by the way. I'm actually Peggy. Peggy. Speaking Hamilton language, I'm actually Peggy, which is annoying for me. I know you're Peggy. But, yeah, look, with the the professionalisation and we've seen with the AFLPA now, their board is 50-50 when it comes to AFLM and AFLW. I just want to see that at a business level for the AFL as well. I can't argue with that. I was going to make my breakup to be with um, 16 aside and with the last touch out of bounds (laughs) rule because we can do more than one. Yeah. I know. I was actually going to piggyback it with a third one, but I won't. Um, (laughs) Some of my reasons for 16 aside are are the reasons that I kind of um, interrogated your reason with Julia, that 16 aside on a big ground, the oval doesn't change size, the ball is still smaller, you know, people are playing less games, you've only got 16 people out there. Uh, I think it's really challenging and it's also not what happens when we're looking at Mm. footy in other areas. And so I just feel like while I totally accept that the game is different, and there's a lot of things to celebrate about the difference be- between AFLW and AFLM. I feel like that is a, it really feels like it's been pink washed, that mm. particular decision. Oh, mm-hmm. And I just really hate it when it gives people ammunition to level it at, or you need a smaller ball because you're more dainty or, you know, you need, you know, 16 because you'll get it 
congested because you're Oz kick and it really yeah it really irks me and I'm like mm. there's I would love to see a game when it's 18 aside and it just means that you've got more run and carry I would just like to see the ball mm. moving faster and and people doing less ACLs because they're not trying to cover so much territory with such a short run up and with such with such quick season where everyone's so desperate that feels like the golden horizon doesn't it that there are some things that the AFL does really well that we get we want to keep that we're probably about to talk about. But ultimately, from a game point of view, siren to siren, we sort of there's that feeling that you just want to get to the point where it is kind of what we're seeing in the men's game, but women get to do it too. Like there's there's an element of that, right? I feel like there's a romantic feeling around that as well as or a romanticism around that as much as you know the points that you just made, Emma that. There's like logistics to it too, that it will just become a better game and it's better for the players themselves. Do you want to do kiss or marry here? Because I think Julia was elevating the kiss slash affair above the marriage. And I'm not sure how I feel about that. I mean, I guess it's saucy. Let's do marry. What do you want to marry? <laughs> Julia? Oh, I've only just got the right to marry, so you've thrown to me. Um, <laughs> You're an expert now. I'm an expert at not getting married. Well, I would marry the vibe. Um, (laughs) It's Marbo. It's the vibe. (laughs) It's the vibe. But what I would particularly marry the vibe of is of a crowd at an AFLW game. I feel Mm. that, you know, we would put a strong argument forward and a lot of the players would that they love playing in stadiums because of the weather protection factor the ground tends to be in a bit better better nick the ball just doesn't get picked up in the wind blah blah blah. we know all those great reasons but there's something about going into those grounds where the vibe shifts a little bit and you might attract a slightly different crowd and then or sometimes you know when the game isn't advertised particularly well or advertised particularly ahead of time there's there's very little crowd and so the vibe isn't there because it's so quiet but when you go to a pumping princess park or a Moorabbin on a sunny you know mm. evening Witten Adelaide Oval is a stadium but I, the one game I went there had a vibe um <laughs> the grand final with 50,000 people it's such a beautiful <laughs> crowd it's such a beautiful crowd it's mm. so different it's full of families it's full of people who they don't yell aggressively like they mm. yell passionately there's a real difference I just want that to stay even as we become pro- more professional it's when Mr Whippy drops the needle on green sleeves and you really know you're home <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like the food Aww. trucks I like it too, too. but it's not going to be summer anymore so that changes the vibe entirely you know like going starting the season in August Mm. and I know that we finished just before Christmas so it should be warm but it's not the same as those hot hot February nights. That's what I was gonna ask like how much is the vibe about the weather and I'm really bummed that Richmond won't be able to sell Richmond branded chapstick anymore. (laughs) You can still Um, wear it. You can still wear it. But, Julia, do you – so you don't like the vibe of the men's games or do you just like it differently? As a general rule, no, I don't. I feel like it's really loud and aggressive and Mm. it's a bit mean. People drink too much and if you go with kids, you feel a bit scared like you're going to be sitting behind two guys that just decide to say, you want to take this outside? Oh, yeah, I want to take it outside. That's happened to me hundreds of times. I don't Mm. love it. And I'm happy to watch from home for those games. So interesting because that is the thing that made me fall in love with AFL. But there was no alternative, Rana. There was no alternative. You're so right. And I do love like a much more comfortable going to the AFLW. I'm going to take my daughter. But there was the, the electricity of an AFL M crowd I still love, but it's just a different part of my brain. But you're right. It is a bit scary. Or scabby, as my daughter says. <laughs> what's your what's your marry, Rana? Oh, so I'm in an open marriage with two. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Two things. Sister wives. <laughs> exactly. They're quite similar. God, I'm really on a theme here um, in terms of organisational development. I'm married to the AFLPA having equality on their board. Like I just think that that is, that to me was like the moment where I thought, yeah, chef's kiss, 
we've arrived. <laughs> this is it. Can't go back from here. And there are not. There's not just one or two or three. And, and they did a phenomenal job. But there are four players there now who can advocate and advocate collectively. But also just what that will mean for the uh, for the blokes around that table and the learning that they will now have because there's some formidable women around that table. And then I'm also married. My other sister wife is um, <laughs> your weekend wife. <laughs> it's my, my weekend wife. There's some really problematic stuff about this really joke is, because yeah. I am Muslim. <laughs> Bill Paxton couldn't we, play no, Bill no. in a movie anyway. <laughs> I want to marry women in high-performance roles. So we have had women in the AFL industry for a long time. That hasn't actually been a new thing. Women do come to work in the industry, but to this day we haven't seen them kind of flood into high-performance roles and that I feel like tells you everything. So more news on that has broken today and I just I want to marry it so that I can lock it down and... <laughs> And make it happy every day. Make it happy every day. Happy marriage. But I just want to kind of solidify that. Yeah, I love that. (laughs) I want to marry singing the song On the Ground. It Mm. is such a beautiful reminder of where we've come from and the reason behind it obviously being that, you know, we couldn't run back into the change rooms because there was other people using them or there was no change rooms. I think it's this very subtle reminder of the distance that we've travelled. It is unique to the women's game and I feel like I could write a whole thesis on the fact that women sing the song on the ground. It is the tip of the iceberg for inequality in sport and it demonstrates that when faced with challenges, we don't just have to do what the men have done before us. We can come up with something new and it can be just as joyous and actually it can fulfil us more. And I love it so much. I want to marry it and I want to celebrate my jubilee with it when it's <laughs> 70 years married or whatever. I want to have a flyover. I want that little prince cracking it. I want the works burger. That can you write that thesis? Yeah, that, that's so much stuff. I'll, I'll just pump that actually. Who would want to read that apart from you, Nerd Burger? <laughs> that's the next. <laughs> that is the next quarterly essay. Exactly. Want. Someone make it happen. All right, we get to the to the filthy kissing, the filthy kissing, pashing, up against a wall, romantic. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I'm just playing out some of my take fantasies you, here. Um, what is it that you want to? What do you want to smooch, Julia? I'd like to smooch slash scissor Pride Round. <laughs> oh, Pride Round would love you to scissor it. It's a champion data that we don't see enough. <laughs> if I cast my little brain back to pre-marriage equality, mm. 2016, 17, mm. when everything was getting going with AFLW, and I think there was a bit of unspoken publicly but spoken behind closed doors anxiety about what it meant for suddenly not only there to be, you know, one queer player but a huge group of queer players suddenly wearing AFL logos on their chests. Um, And if you go back to that first year, it was very quiet, very softly, softly. There weren't many public declarations of I'm queer or we're a couple or whatever. It it happened slowly Mm -hmm. and then we had one pride game the next year and then that happened a few times and then suddenly, oh, I can't go past, you know, Erin Phillips wins that first year, she kisses her wife, Robbo writes an article about how he felt funny about it, Mm. funny in his pants. And um, (laughs) then, (laughs) you know, it's six or seven years later and we have a, a whole round we have non-binary mm. players. We have, yeah, players who have relationships with one another and break up and whatever, but it's it seems just so part of the fabric and pretty normal and I love it and I wouldn't change it even though they're going to be full-time. You can still be queer and earn a living. This is new. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> just in oh, from the I village people. I love it. I just love it, Julia, and the fact that it's it's changed the way that your brain um, can mm. receive information, you know, like I can really see how much it means to little Julia 
to see that it's just joyous and it's right and it's authentic and people do feel you know lots of people feel really confident about just being their true and authentic self and this we've just rolled with it like the sport has rolled with it it's where Mm. aflw leads in the community space Mm. and you know a lot of that rana is as well you know the work that people like you have done in midsummer being involved in footy Mm. and i my brain almost can't compute the distance that we've traveled in the time that i you know first fell in love with footy to now when i look at that too i think it's phenomenal and that's my tedx talk thanks for coming (laughs) (laughs) what do you want to pash rana this is a pash for a reason because it is a little bit like i don't love this but i i like it enough to pash it um which is (laughs) aflm players turning up to aflw games I don't want that to be the measure of success. Like I don't want to look at AFLW through the prism of do the men like it, Can they? are they getting on board? But when they do get on board, I bloody love it mm. and I want them to get on board. So I kind of still want them to be turning up and supporting the AFLW where they can and, more importantly, I want them to do that in a collective collective bargaining agreement in about six months time but I still want them to turn up to AFLW and be interested and I want them to be more interested but I don't want to marry that because I want to get to the point where that doesn't actually even matter. Hmm. How do you feel about that Julia? (laughs) (laughs) You're allowed to disagree. It's dirty right like it's not a nice thing to say. It's a dirty dirty pash. No, mm. that's what I thought I think, of. Okay, it's, I don't disagree with you. I would like us to get to a point that AFL men's players come to women's games and there isn't a social media post about it and the camera isn't trained yeah. on them in the middle of a quarter and we don't 100%. have to uh, elevate it to them doing some kind of heroic act that they showed <laughs> up there, <laughs> um, you know, despite their busy lives yeah. of spending all the money they earn, they showed up at a free game of football. That's what I don't like is that we, we need to celebrate, that we need to spotlight it so much. And, again, mm. it, you know, it harks back to what we were talking about last week, that it, it continues to elevate AFL men's players into these superhuman things that, you know, uh, have the Midas touch, you know, everything they go mm. near is suddenly now more important. So, yeah, I would like them to just come because it's great. You know, I remember there was a few years ago, um, again, I don't actually want this to happen, but I like that it happened, um, when I think Melbourne were looking to try and get into a final or something and there was a really close game and there was um, some footage of the men's players watching that really close game in maybe the cafeteria or something and they were so excited and so invested and I loved seeing that genuine investment Mm. but next time I actually want the camera to not be there and it just to happen. Yeah. So I want to patch it and then never call it again. (laughs) Yeah, I get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Even AFLM player watches an AFLW game in a forest and no one sees it did it still happen (laughs) i think that's the existential question is he still a feminist (laughs) he's still a feminist exactly um the thing i wanted to pash was players still having jobs and actually the men getting jobs Mm. and following that model and working out a way to make that equitable because god damn it i am a feminist and i love it when you hear oh she's also a firefighter or she's Mm. also a doctor or um, mm. This week, that player, you know, delivered 12 babies and here they are playing in the ruck or whatever it is. I just, I mm. think it's, it makes these players superhuman in my mind. Uh, the fact that they're really smart, I think it helps at the negotiating table and that they have outside jobs and outside lives. The more I think about it, the more I think that's the healthiest model and that somehow it keeps people more grounded. I think the more that they have those outside lives, the more likely it is that we won't lose the vibe of AFLW where they tell us what they really think and they give us good interviews. I feel like Mm. it comes from real-life experience and understanding where football fits in that. So Mm. it's something I want to pash and the reason I want to pash it and not marry it is because it may only be fleeting. It may, you know, if things go really well, the pash will turn into a marriage and then they probably won't have jobs. But at the moment I'm pashing it because I think it demonstrates something pretty surreal. 
and pretty amazing. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Kurt Fernley, and I love listening to The Outer Sanctum. Earlier today, I caught up with a woman who, uh, to be really honest, this play, the ink has just dried on the deal that's been done. Isabel Huntington, she's studying medicine. I mean, she's basically, she's the reason why I want to pash people having jobs. She's on the AFL-PA board where it's achieved equity between the players from the AFL-M and the players from the AFL-W. She was draft pick number one in 2017. She's done three ACLs. She's had three ACLs and she's going through rehab at the moment. She's an absolute force and um, she has surprised us all by going to GWS. I ask her a bunch of questions to do with all of these extraordinary elements of her life. Please enjoy this chat with Isabel Huntington. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum, Isabel Huntington. It's so nice to see you. We have a lot to catch up on, but let me start with this. How are your knees? Good question. Thanks, Sam. Um, going well, yeah, both of them. A bit problematic at times, but going really well. Yeah, it's been a little disjointed in the off-season sort of with rehab, trying to get all the sessions in a lot easier when you're at the club, but tracking along nicely, which is good. So I'll take that. Feeling much better than the previous two records, so it's a nice little uh, addition. <laughs> Three ACLs is not a champion data stat that anyone wants. What have you learnt about yourself through the process of going through the rehab and, and why was this one a bit easier or a bit better? Um, yeah, good question. It's a pretty up and down process, so probably have a different answer depending on <laughs> what day it is. But I think for me probably one of the biggest learnings is um, the importance of having a bit of perspective and having things outside of footy and a bit of an outlet throughout the rehabs because it can be pretty consuming and, and isolating and if you put all your eggs in the footy basket and um, sort of are too consumed by that, then it can be pretty damaging mentally. So I think for me, yeah, trying to find things outside of the footy space and sort of have a bit of perspective in that regards has been important. As to why this one feels better, um, not sure. Might be uh, the type of graph that was used, probably more <laughs> medical explanation for that one. But yeah, I think probably with with experience you get better as well like third time around hopefully I know the ins and outs a little bit better and a bit more older and hopefully mature this time so yeah. Do you have a date that you think you'll be able to be back playing? Good question well it's sort of been a bit funny with this season sort of changing in terms of the start date so my surgeon's pretty optimistic which is good he he keeps telling me I can come back in October which to me and the rest of the medical staff yeah sounds pretty early but I'll take that love the compliment from Julian but I think the way that it's sort of going to work with the season that I'll, I'll likely be inactive for this coming season, um, which almost takes a little bit of the pressure off, which is good. Yeah, I guess I've got another year or, or eight months from there to be right for the next AFLW season. So hopefully I can get some games in, you know, scratch matches and, and local games or whatever before then. Um, but I guess, yeah, there's a little bit of pressure taken off with not having a, a really strict date that I feel like I want to be back by. Like, you know, hopefully August 2023 is enough time to to recover from it all but I think not telling myself that I need to be back for you know round x of season seven uh yeah is a little bit easier mentally for me and, and doesn't put so much pressure on me yeah that sounds good you talk about finding other outlets and making sure that you have other things that pique your interest obviously you still you're studying but what are some of the other other things that give you joy oh plenty of stuff I reckon uh for me like just being around good people is massive socially. I've got a really good group of friends that sort of allow that and, and some footy friends and some non, non-footy friends, which is a good mix. Uh, you know, get, getting out and about as well. Like I'm moving up to Sydney shortly and really keen to get into the surf there. Um, so that sort of thing and, and hopefully the weather holds up and the rain goes away in Sydney as well. So that sort of thing is really important to me. But yeah, I guess just having that outlet with my study and work otherwise and um, not being too consumed by footy is a pretty big thing. And, and and at the same time as well, like getting into different areas of football, um, so not just off 
on-field stuff, but, you know, a bit of the leadership stuff and whatnot as well. I do want to touch on the PA and your involvement there as well. Thinking about moving up to Sydney, I have it on good authority that you're a surf lifesaver and you spent a lot of time, you know, down the west coast of Victoria and you've been really kind of a, a prominent person in, in those roles. Do you think is surf life saving something? I mean, obviously Sydney has some incredible beaches. New South Wales has incredible surf life saving opportunities as well. Is that something that you can um, match up? And I've always wondered how it fits with, it's, it seems like a pretty non-gendered pastime for, for something that it's a physical um, feat as well. Is that your experience and and what kind of leadership experience did you get out of surf life saving yeah um, i'm intrigued to, to be chatting to but it's good um yeah i loved it it's been a while since i pulled on the old nipples cap but yeah i spent uh, a lot of my childhood and um teenage years at the fair having surf life saving club and absolutely loved it there and um so went sort of through the whole pathways and did my bronze and whatnot and then started instructing that um for a couple of years there so i think it was great to get into that realm of leadership and and yeah as you said and it's very non-gendered and um, a really inclusive sort of environment Um, so hopefully maybe there's some way I can get back into it when I'm up in New South Wales but yeah I think that certainly helped with you know leadership in football as well and just generally and I think you know volunteering is a massive side of surf life saving as well and, and giving back to the community so yeah I think a lot of valuable lessons come from it. I've wondered going into obviously we're going to have the draft on the 29th of this month for the 2022 class for season seven you went number one in the draft and when you did there was already a lot of talk we'd already watched you play a lot of football there was always a lot of talk about your leadership skills and the maturity that you that you bring to the team even at a really young age do you think that that kind of leadership stuff was embedded from experiences like the pathways that you had in football or was it is it family or or was it surf life saving or was it you know a bit of all of them yeah I've never um broken it down too much in terms of sort of the sources of it. I've never probably thought that deeply about it, but I think certainly, yeah, coming through the junior sporting ranks, um, both in football and, and surf lifesaving was important. And I think particularly going through those under 18 pathways as a, as a young youth girls player, that was massive for me in terms of leadership. Um, Shiloh Curtis was uh, in charge back then and was a really big influence on me and a, and a lot of other players as well and um, was someone that was really inspirational and, and really allowed us to um, get the best out of ourselves and it's interesting because you probably come from like I'd come from playing junior footy with um, the boys and that at times can be a pretty daunting and intimidating environment and you know you feel like almost you're, you're separate um, at times and, and can't really be too much of a leader but yeah then going into those under 18 pathways and, and having, you know, the likes of Elite Shriver and Ellie Blackburn and, and whatnot leading you was, um, yeah, it was eye-opening and I think from a young age probably gave me, um, yeah, a good pathway to sort of follow in terms of that. We often hear people when they, you know, they win an award or something and they say, I'm not going to think about it too much at the moment, I'll, I'll reflect on that down the track. It's a couple of years into your AFLW journey and it's not gone exactly the way that, you know, we all dreamed that it would, but how important was it for you to be drafted number one and what would your advice be to people who you know are looking down the barrel of being drafted one or two in this season um, yeah it's a funny one yeah there's sort of a lot of pressure at the time and I was certainly feeling that even though I probably didn't articulate that you know at the time because there's all this talking for you know these kids who are 17 or 18 and um you know you're seeing articles in the media and stuff predicting things and whatnot um yeah it's pretty daunting and I probably put a lot of pressure on myself in that regard um but I sort of look back now and you go you know it, it's it's said a lot and it's you know you almost go a little cliche but it's said a lot but it doesn't really matter <laughs> what what pick you go to be honest as well it doesn't really matter if you get drafted that year or you get picked up a few years down the track um I know some really, really great footballers that have taken a few years to break into the ranks and have finally got their opportunity and then get into an environment where they can thrive. So, yeah, for for those going into the draft, don't stress about where you'll end up because um, I'm sure you'll have a great time regardless. But also don't put too much pressure um, on yourself, you know, as to whether you're going to get drafted this year or or next or the year after. Just keep working at it. And I think that's probably going to be particularly uh, important 
this year when um, we've got a lot of year 12s and a lot of players who can be midway through their, their final year of schooling uh, going into the draft. For me, I had I think I graduated the day after I got drafted, so there was <laughs> some slight overlap and that was distracting enough. But I think, yeah, it's important for those players to sort of try and not get too swept up in it all and swept up in the, the pressure of it all and, and just focus on what they want to do. Talking about pressure, you obviously had a really big decision to make when you chose to move to Sydney to move out of Victorian footy state, out of a really traditional club in the Bulldogs that had been such a home for you. Can you talk us through what some of the things were that helped you make that decision? Yeah, um, it was yeah, it was massive for me to decide to leave the dogs because I love it there and I love everyone involved and the players and staff and you know the leadership there and often you see players getting traded and you think oh they must be disgruntled at a club or they must be having a horrible time but um, for a lot of players it's certainly not the case and, and particularly for me as well so that was really really difficult. I'd sort of been thinking you know for a few years that, yeah, I need to follow my off-field pathway almost more than um, on-field. So that was always in the back of my mind. And I think probably doing my knee helped solidify it a little bit that, you know, I can't be keeping myself in Victoria just for a footy club. I need to go and follow what I want to do um, outside of that. So, you know, uni and even just sort of lifestyle things and, and have a bit of a change. So as much as it was a, a really, really difficult decision to leave the dogs because I love them so much and, and I'm going to miss them so much, I think, yeah, I think I needed to have a lens where I, I take footy um, out of it as the, the major de- decisive factor and I need to think, you know, what's going to make me happiest as a person and I think going through <laughs> third ACL rehab is really hard and makes you question a lot of things as to, you know, who, who am I and what's my worth and if I had to stop playing tomorrow then who would I be um, and, and what have I prioritised? I think that's probably where the decision came from and, and I'm really looking forward to getting up to Sydney and um, – yeah, I guess being in a different environment might be nice as well from a rehab perspective, but um, just being able to enjoy the things off the field and, and not worry and get too consumed um, almost in that, that Melbourne footy bubble in a way. I've not done three ACLs, but after as many lockdowns as we lived through, I could go with a move to Sydney myself, so I kind of understand it. It would have been rough on supporters <laughs> because I think they've been sold the dream of, of easy playing for the dogs and, you know, it's been such a, a full-on journey for you and for the supporters. You're a footy fan. How do you how do you reconcile that? Do you have to take that into consideration? Do you think about the fans when you're making that decision or is it really just the relationships that you have with teammates? No, definitely. I think um, women's footy and particularly the dogs has become such a great community where um, it's really inclusive in terms of all the fans and we have really great supporters so yeah it was certainly at the back of my mind I was going god who am I going to disappoint here and you know I know the dogs have also had a rough run with players leaving as well and I felt like oh god I don't want to be another player just contributing to this but I needed to go well you know this is a decision for me as a person not a footballer so I can't just base that on you know how many we lost in the past so I need to stay at the club because um you know I don't want to disappoint that but I absolutely understand it's it's really difficult for fans and I've seen lots of comments on Twitter and whatnot particularly this year um with fans sort of losing a lot of hope and whatnot and I hope that they can stay invested in all and and whatnot um but yeah I think Part of it's just realising the, I guess it's the still part-time nature of it and that players need to move for a whole variety of reasons and, and, and they shouldn't be begrudged regardless of whether it's, you know, for a, a big money deal that will set them up for life or whether it's, um, you know, off-field reasons or, or whatever it is. But, yeah, I'm hoping that the fans can sort of still have an attachment to, to players as well and I think that's a unique part of AFLW is that you see a lot of fans that, for instance, they might have, you know, supported a team that hasn't had a uh, AFLW team in the past so they get sort of attached to players and sort of follow them around so I'm hoping that's the case but yeah I'm I'm really grateful for all of the support that we've had at the Dogs and I'm hoping we can still stay in touch with a few of those fans and they can yeah continue on on that journey. Talking about you know choosing your choice because you might get a payday obviously the recent news that came out of the negotiations for the CBA were excellent outcomes and you've been really instrumental in being a part of the AFL-PA board now, seeing parity on the AFL-PA board between the AFL-M and AFL-W players, obviously you're on there along with Kat Phillips and Karen Harrington-Peterson. Uh, Peterson, I should just say Peterson, but it just isn't rolling off the tongue yet since she got married. I mean, I, f- I actually felt quite teary seeing that parity. I, I don't know that I 
ever believed I would see it. So to see it in my lifetime, I can't quite fathom how that must feel for you. Can you describe, or does it just feel like work? (laughs) Does it feel like work or does it feel like a moment of celebration? No, it was pretty surreal. Um, Yeah, I think this year has been a massive one um, in terms of the, the growth and gains in AFLW and how the PA sort of come into that. So that change was enormous. And yeah, being able to join the board alongside Kat and Kez is, is huge and they're incredibly accomplished and amazing women as well. And Annalise Lester on there as well as co-vice president now is massive as well. But it's it's interesting because I think almost in the last CBA negotiations going through that, like admittedly there was a bit of a disconnect between the PA and, you know, a lot of the players. Um, and I think they were sort of, it was early days in, in the AFLW and there wasn't that understanding of what the players need and how they function and how it's different to AFLM and and that sort of understanding. So it sort of was almost quite alienating for a lot of the players, admittedly including myself, in those first CBA negotiations and it was a little bit, it it was a difficult process and if you told me back then that, you know, we'd be at this point where we now have parity on the board, I probably wouldn't have believed you but absolute credit to the Players Association and Paul Marsh and all of their leadership. The way that they have learnt from that experience and they've reflected and they've done views and they've actually made tangible changes is incredible. They've made a whole bunch of different changes as well uh, beyond just the, the board parity um, in terms of making it a much better and more inclusive space for the AFLW players and really representing us. So I've been incredibly impressed by that and and kudos to um, Marshy and the team there for the way that they've dealt with that and I think it's yeah evident as well in how we've seen the CBA negotiations play out in recent months and the outcome that we got and how um, stoked players were and how much of a, a turnaround it was. So it's it's a really big moment and uh, I'm really grateful and thankful to be a part of it. Darcy Vessio, I was talking to them recently and they said the feeling that they had post the CBA and, you know, with these new teams coming in as well and that it will finally be a, you know, full competition, that they were feeling like it was almost that same joy and celebration that they felt at the start of the competition back in 2017. Would you say it feels like that? It feels like we've ripped the wrap, the wrapper off a brand new moment? Yeah, I think that's yeah, really good way of putting it from Darth. It feels like a real turning point almost. Um, I feel like we've had little gains in recent years, but this is obviously quite a substantial one and it's important for us to keep fighting as well and, and not sort of go, well, you know, we've had this big gain, you know, let's just settle now. We like fixed we feminism. Yeah, <laughs> fixed feminism with a 94% pay rise. Well, not quite, but but it, it is a really substantial difference. And, um, yeah, it was quite funny. Uh, we had a delegate Zoom um, when the details were being announced and Das was, yeah, getting up to all sorts of uh, mischief in the co- in the comments section, throwing around all sorts of um, funny comments as they usually do. So love that. But it is a really significant turning point, I think. And I think a lot of the players really felt that. And I've been quite almost emotional seeing the responses from players and fans alike going, you know, this is life-changing. And, you know, if that's life-changing and, and we've got so much more ground to make up, then it's, it's really exciting where we can get to and hopefully it can come sooner rather than later. And I think, you know, yeah, having this representation and having women leading uh, is a really important um, part of that. So I think we're on the right track. It's exciting because it feels like a lot more of the Irish, potential Irish players are much more interested in coming over now. Uh, who knows? I mean, there's no con- there's no professional contact sport in, in America for, for women and non-binary people. So, you know, the AFLW could be the could be the linchpin to kind of get us into those other markets. Just feels like there is so much opportunity there now because of deals like this leading the space. I've been interested in seeing how you've gone from being, you know, number one draft pick, poster person for just being an all-round champion and you're still all of those things but you've also become quite vocal and, and you use your voice to talk about things that you have strong opinions about my feeling and my impression is that that's not always supported. It's often frowned upon and, and there's a bit of pressure not to be that and to kind of be grateful. Yet in the eye of some of those bad decisions or, or things that have been challenging, you've you've really just gone there. And I was wondering what was the turning point and, and how brave did you have to be to kind of stick your head up? and say, you know what, I'm actually just going to go for it. I'm just going to say what I think because I think you really led the charge in a lot of ways. Thanks. That's too kind, I think, too generous, those words. But, yeah, I think it's really interesting. It was probably really pertinent in the first CBA negotiations that we had a few years ago is that a lot of players and, um, you know, myself included, you get drafted and because it's, you know, because AFLW is new and a few years ago we didn't have it, you sort of have this, like, comparative mindset and you go, wow, 
you know, so grateful to be here. A lot of players, you know, would have been like, oh, I'll play for a gold coin donation. Like it's just amazing to pull on a jumper. But then it's this realisation that you need to see your worth and that if we're doing that, we're not going to make any progress. And um, it's, you know, it's almost doing a disrespect to the women before us that have worked so hard as well and put so much on the line to even get us to this point. You know, we can't stop here. But I think for me, the turning point almost was, yeah, being involved in those first CBA negotiations. Um, I sort of w- walked out of the room. We had a meeting with the Players Association where they presented us the first deal. And I walked out of the room and I was sort of looking around and, and no one really said anything. But I think a lot of players are sitting there thinking, you know what, this is this is not good. Um but were too worried to say anything. And, yeah, I sort of distinctly remember walking to my car and I just happened to be walking next to Darcy and um, Meg McDonald and we sort of just were going, you know what, I, I feel like that's, this ain't it, you know? <laughs> like, why are we sitting here, you know, nodding our heads, just accepting um, something when it, it means there's no progress? And um, we sort of started chatting from there and along with Pepper Randall and Kat Phillips and, and Meg Downey and a few of those players, um, yeah, I think they really sort of led the way and, and gave me a bit of a voice and collectively had this realisation that, you know what, we can speak up. We need to lead the way and we need to not be fearful of the consequences because there shouldn't be consequences for, for speaking up. And, yeah, the more players that sort of jumped on with that mindset, I think it was really empowering for others. And that shift we've really seen in the recent CBA negotiations where players have been so supported in speaking up and have really had a voice and have had just had to say that they were grateful for the sake of it and have gone, you know what, we deserve this and we need this and we've worked for this. So we're going to speak up and collectively we're going to be much better than if we're not unified. So the unity I think we've seen has been massive. But, yeah, I think that that group of players that I mentioned before have been massive for me um, personally in developing that leadership and and giving me a voice and um, being really motivating. I love seeing you kind of cite people who are from different teams, you know, that that kind of crosses all boundaries, that traditional boundaries when, you know, there's this powerful group of people who, you know, are free thinkers and can come together like that. There was a a 10-year plan or there was a plan that was kind of drafted and circulated by the AFL earlier this year. The Players Association feels that that plan, they've been pretty vocal saying that that plan just you know, it doesn't really connect the dots in all of the ways that we hoped that it would, uh, might have a vision, but it doesn't really show us how to get there. We've been talking on the podcast about um, things that we, from the competition, the way it has been and looking forward now, because we're going to have, you know, a whole slate of every team in, plus we've got this great CBA, the opportunity to go back to the table next year with the men's players as well. We're looking towards this becoming a fully professional competition for the players. What are the things that you would like to kiss or keep, marry or dump or break up with, with the AFLW competition? Things that, um, you know, have you got have you got a, a kiss, marry and break up with? Oh, this is good. Um, I wish I had written down a list. There's plenty of stuff that... <laughs> I mean, all my mates talk about regularly with this, but I feel like I'm on the spot a bit here. But um, all right, I'm sure I can come up with a few things. Uh, how are we how are we differentiating kiss and marry as well? Like, yeah, you- kiss is like, oh, I love it, but I don't need to yeah, marry. Yeah, it, yeah. I suppose. Right, right. <laughs> um, maybe last touch out of bounds kind of fits in for that for me because I initially okay. was skeptical, and when it was for the whole ground, like that was hard. That was hard work running around and not having a break. But I feel like it works quite well, and. I almost look at the men's competition and I go, it'd be cool if they had it in there as well. So <laughs> I guess we'll put that in kiss. I've got no idea really. Okay, that's um, fine. Oh, oh, there's a lot. I could add a fair few to the to the kill list, but we'll probably go not playing a full season. I think that's okay, probably yep. uh, the biggest one for a lot of players. And also not playing at or playing at substandard grounds. Um, I know I really love sort of that environment of playing at the suburban grounds and for instance Wynn Noble is unbelievable and it's just had like such a great atmosphere but I think a lot of the facilities and whatnot aren't great at some of the other ones and um, you also look at like the quality of the play and the scoring when it's played at stadiums where it's protected from wind and whatnot so I think that's a direction that we can head and hopefully have more stadium play. Marry. Um, ooh. <laughs> It's not very specific, but just like the uniqueness of the AFLW and the community that it has and how, you know, yeah, as you said before, I'm like players from different teams are, are so close and there's real camaraderie um, between teams and it's it's different to the men's and we don't have to replicate the men's. I think that's um, an important thing to note. Yeah, I think there's that real sense of community and 
a lot of fans and, and players and supporters have found a real space in AFLW where they feel included. So I think that inclusivity lens and, you know, the fact that we have Pride rounds and Indigenous rounds and a really great inclusive space, I think that's really important to keep and hopefully it doesn't become sort of, you know, too commercial in, in that sense and get overrun. Um, I think that's, yeah, a, a really unique and, and beautiful element of AFLW. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, there's an article that's just dropped by Gemma Bastiani on Siren Sport and it does reference an article that you wrote about a personal experience that says Huntington was coming off a strong year in which she broke the AFLW record for most contested marks in a season. She led the Bulldogs' goal-kicking tally all while working to complete her postgraduate studies and managing a rare sleep disorder. There's a lot in that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot in that yeah, sentence I just wanted to check in <laughs> you were pretty you were really brave to talk about your sleep disorder and when I was reading about it I was just thinking I actually don't know how you function at all let alone at an elite standard in studying biomedical engineering and also being an AFLW player and rehabbing yourself from the ACLs you're taking on so many things how have you felt since you talked about your sleep disorder and how are you traveling with that now yeah uh, firstly shout out to Jem um great article and she did really well yeah in capturing a lot of our season and interviewing so um quick shout out to her but uh yeah the sleep, the sleep one it's, it's a unique one and I never really thought I would speak about it on such a, a public level it's been a bit of a journey even just sort of getting diagnosed and understanding it and um is a continuous journey and sort of in terms of that and, and understanding myself and what I need but it was almost a bit of a weight off the shoulders being able to speak about it as well and I think the ability to sort of just write it all out and pop in an article um yeah with the help of the, the part-timers crew there um who really um sort of empowered me and encouraged me to do it was great for me yeah it's almost about removing the stigma around sort of talking about things if, you, if you're comfortable to and I think I put a lot of pressure on myself early with it that I couldn't speak about it and therefore I couldn't get the support I needed and that I just sort of had to um, you know carry on as as normal if you will but when I sort of had that platform to to write about it and and how it affects me it was important because it sort of allowed me to take a deep breath and go you know what I'm I'm allowed to have my, my days and I'm allowed to you know, have moments and I'm allowed to communicate this with the people that I need to um, so that we can collectively make changes to sort of best support me in, in that space. So it's it's really challenging from day to day, um, like constantly tired and um, I think it definitely affects me a lot in terms of my football and I've had to learn to manage that and I'm still definitely learning. So lots of Red Bulls and, and such for those afternoon trainings and and um and games but yeah I think I'm I'm evolving and getting there slowly but as long as the environment um is inclusive and accepting and understanding and people have that lens of understanding and asking what people need uh, you know for, for myself and any other person that struggles with a condition or any other disability or anything I think that's really important and, and giving yourself that voice to be able to speak about it and to be able to have your off days and yeah, and know that you're still going to be supported and that not everyone is in the same boat. So we all need sort of different support systems. I think that's really big. There's leadership in every interaction you have with the world. My final question for you, Izzy, is I reckon if I had to name a potential AFLW player or AFL player who will go on to be the CEO of the AFL one day, you'd be my top pick. Would oh you God, ever babe. take a job? Oh, God, you're going to cry. It's so kind. Fuck out. <laughs> Oh well. Would you ever take the job? Would I ever take the job? Um, Who knows? I feel like that's yeah, (laughs) long term down the track. It seems like a bit of a stressful one, but I think yeah, more and more I'm realizing I I sort of like that side of football. And if you know, yeah, tomorrow I couldn't play footy and the the knees gave in, I'd probably want to stay involved in footy in that sort of sense, in that leadership sense, and look into that governance um, sort of side of things. I think there's a lot of women um, who will hopefully take the reins of that well before me. Um, Laura Kane, for instance, um, I think is a really great shot and a lot of players, you know, currently playing that I could definitely see in it. But, yeah, I think down the track, you know, it's something something you'd consider getting involved in and all. But hopefully there will be more women in, in those high role of, roles of leadership in the AFL and, and the PA as well pretty soon and, and that will empower 
the younger girls and, and younger players coming through to get involved as well. I reckon if Laura Kane is made CEO, there's the first phone call she makes will be to her old muggers um, <laughs> compatriot in New Easy. So sit by the phone. We <laughs> <laughs> hope that you find a really great, stable, supportive and fun um, adventure at GWS. And we cannot wait to see you back out there. But we thank you so much for your service to the game in you know, in really trying circumstances, it doesn't go unnoticed. So just keep on trucking. Well, thanks so much, Em. Thank you. I, yeah, appreciate your support as always and, and the rest of the sanctuaries. And thank you for everything that you guys do for our game as well, because I guarantee you we wouldn't be getting the CBA outcomes that we got without, you know, the support of, of you guys and what you've done to really bring to light uh, a lot of things. And um, yeah, it's a really sort of holistic effort. So thank you. Thanks to AFL CEO in 2035, Isabel Huntington, for joining us. <laughs> I feel like no one ever says, yes, they want to be the CEO when you ask them. <laughs> she was like, I'm glad bring it did. on, bring it on. Mm. Uh, do we have, before we get out of here, any final business, Rana? Yes, well, there's just been a bunch of news that's dropped today after a pretty slow news week. So a couple of things I wanted to just round off in this final business. Lots of AFLW news broke uh, and we are finally, we finally have the question to what will Daisy Pierce do after a playing career? And that, of course, is she will now coach at Geelong. We know that she's going to play on for this next season, but we're not sure what will happen after that. And my guess is that she will go straight to Cadinia Park. Uh, so that is some big news and that that comes off the back of the Women's Coaching Acceleration Program which sees top women coaches employed at AFL clubs for a minimum of two years between now and 2025. There's a whole bunch of players and uh, coaches now employed which is very exciting um, and I can't wait to see them all kind of take to the bench and to the field and to the coaching box. And of course very quietly the AFL have repealed or pulled back their dissent rule very, very quietly. I assume off the back of Nicole Hayes's fury. <laughs> As all decisions rule. should be made by. <laughs> Absolutely. They've realised that uh, a level of emotion can be shown immediately after a decision. I mean, oh, this is so frustrating, but I'm glad to see that they've, they've read the room a little bit. You know what, um, that no... Gesture, hand gesturing when you get a free kick was that's the male version of when Scientologists didn't let Katie Holmes make any noise when she was giving birth <laughs> to Tom Cruise's baby. No exactly the same. So, so exactly odd. the same. Absolutely. And they've seen the error their ways. <laughs> but I will miss watching the players like throw, go to throw their arms up and then really quickly realize and have to kind of slam them down. I mean. That's just so obvious. I was hoping I'm that we'd see some, some like, really creative dance moves. You know when you accidentally call your teacher just, dad and then you turn it into, like, did I tell you the other day? <laughs> like, I wanted I to see some that. hand moves, some, yeah. you know, I don't know. Just, like, in to walk like an Egyptian. Totally. Just, Octopus, yeah. arms, oh, whatever it was. A Danny Zuko. <laughs> My daughter's. A Danny Zuko. <laughs> of the hair. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, Julia, any final business from you? Yeah, this week we have the beginning of the VFL Women's Final Series. So there's six teams battling it out to get into the grand final. Those playing along at home will remember that last year they didn't get a final. Um, it was delayed and delayed and delayed and, and no one actually got to play in that grand final. So this is pretty exciting. We will be the first grand final in three years and the waffle finals are coming soon. So uh, keep your ears and eyes fixed on that. You say waffle, I think delicious. <laughs> I'd like to pash and marry both of you and <laughs> definitely not dump either of you. Uh, it has been a delight. And thanks to our guest, Isabel Huntington. And special thank you today, we don't do this enough, to Tess Armstrong, who gets out her scissor hands and makes this into a masterpiece every week. So thanks for that, Teddy. Uh, there's only one thing left to say, my friends, and that is go footy! Hey. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.